structural liability and code compliance for decking structures. Let's go to the bench. Legal news, information, and interviews from Collins and Lacey, a leading South Carolina defense firm for construction, workers' comp, hospitality, retail, trucking, professional liability, mediation, government, and ethics matters. The views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect that of Collins and Lacey, its management, or employees. This is The Legal Bench. And I'm Michael Bruni, Director of Business Development for Collins and Lacey Law Firm in Columbia, South Carolina. What are the potential liability issues associated with deck structures? Collins and Lacey Attorney and Chair of our Retail and Hospitality Practice Group, Christian Stegmeyer, has our special guest. Glenn Stewart is a, an Associate Chief Engineer with Engineering Design and Testing Corp and is domiciled in their Columbia, South Carolina District office. Glenn provides specialized consulting in the areas of construction evaluation, damage assessment, engineering design, safety consultation, and loss evaluation. Since joining ED&T in 1993, Glenn has been involved in matters varying in scope and complexity and has provided technical testimony in litigation matters. He has a bachelor's degree in civil engineering from North Carolina State University and a Master of Engineering degree from Clemson University. He is a licensed professional engineer in multiple states, including South Carolina. Glenn and his wife, Kathy, make their home in Lexington, South Carolina. Glenn, welcome to our podcast. Well, I um, the reason why I had invited you on is I was perusing uh, LinkedIn uh, late last week, and I had seen that you'd put some content out there about deck. Uh, and decks and uh, decks being in code, and I can share with you that in the in the years that we've been defending cases in our retail and hospitality practice group, we've had a multitude of cases that we've been involved in where decks have been at issue. And of course, when something happens involving a deck, the first question of a client may ask, and typically does ask, is was our deck, especially as it relates to the railings. Was it in code compliance? So your article was just super apropos, uh, based on uh, based on our experience uh, in retail and hospitality. So let's just talk a little bit more about that. Um, talk a little bit about your article and, and what uh, wh- what you want to say about decks and and code compliance. Sure. For, first, Christian, I want to thank you for the opportunity and thank uh, Collins and Lace for the opportunity to speak uh, on this podcast. It's uh, it's a new experience for me, and I'm looking forward to it. So um, uh, to kind of give you some background, we, uh, uh, um, the, I work for engineering design and testing, and so we're, we have a, a national footprint, and we, uh, uh, our website's uh, edtengineers.com. So weekly we try to put out uh, technical content, and so it's, um, it's meant to be something that can be read in a, in a few minutes, but to be informative. Uh, over the years I've worked with uh, matters involving decks and railings and, and those types of things, and... Uh, I'm often asked that that very question: Does does this uh, balcony railing uh, meet code? And um, I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, the usually the answer is it depends. And uh, oftentimes, it depends on uh, on on when it was constructed, uh, where it's located, uh, uh, those types of things. And so, um, uh, there's three basic. Um, things that you can find in the building code that are related to uh, balcony railings. And first, it's the configuration of the railing. And so um, there's uh, 
there's variations on the height requirement depending on where it is and what's it used for and when it was constructed. But uh, typically today's code, that, that requirement is 42 inches. Generally speaking, in commercial applications, that hasn't changed much over the years. Another area that's uh, as far as where you put the railings. And um, generally, you want to put railings um, at, uh, at uh, what's referred to as wall openings, typically, or the edge of a balcony. Uh, so when you walk out on a deck, uh, you know, we're getting into the summer season. It's day before Memorial Day. People are thinking about taking vacations. So often there's uh, patios and, and balconies around the outside. There's uh, historically code requirements to have those railings around those around those objects uh, at a at a height of 42 inches, um, and so those are those are uh, two of the important areas would be um, um, this configuration, uh, where to install them, and the third one would be um, uh, what's the structural capacity, and so we're. Um, with the structural capacity, the, the design requirements are that they be capable of uh, withstanding a, a, a couple of load combinations or, or load uh, conditions. One is a, a point load of 200 pounds in any direction. Now, um, I'm a pretty big guy, weigh 250 pounds, so does that mean that a, that, um, a guardrail shouldn't hold me? That, that's not necessarily the case. Um, uh, we've done some testing in the past that it's it's pretty hard to pull 200 pounds on a railing if you think about it um you're not uh, it'd be like trying to trying to have a rope and lift something up that's 200 pounds uh, that's so uh, so 200 pounds is a pretty strict um uh, requirement um and then the uh, second requirement is, some, is a linear uh, 50 pounds per linear foot so those are generally speaking, some of the basic requirements that you find in the code. So when we talk about the code or what the standard is, what typically governs specifically? Uh, again, and I hate to say this, but it depends. <laughs> so um, so there are uh, the, um, the, the building code uh, that's, uh, that's typically enforced nationwide now is the International Building Code. Uh, I'm, I'm old enough to, to remember when there were numerous model model codes. Uh, here in the South, we use the, the uh, Southern Building Code and the Standard Building Code. Uh, in fact, in South Carolina, up until around the year 2000, uh, we didn't have a statewide building code. So you would have a situation where maybe the city of Florence would incorporate the code and the county wouldn't. And so um, the state government essentially dictates to local jurisdictions that they're to implement the building code. And so that, that's the International Building Code uh, currently, that addition is to 2018. For our listeners that are interested in this, you know, just do a web search, uh, 2018 International Building Code, and, uh, and uh, you can uh, you know, read some of the requirements that we're talking about here. That's basically how it's, how it's incorporated. Now, it becomes an issue when we're evaluating um, an older building, like you may have to have evaluated with, um, in, in the hotel and hospitality industry. Um, the requirements for that handrail or that guardrail, they go back to when the building was constructed. So you just hit a really um, interesting point, but a lot of clients of ours will um, they'll focus on whether it's a hotel client or a condominium or an apartment complex where it's an older structure. Maybe it was built in the 70s or the 80s. There have been several different owners. Uh, an owner uh, an owner who at this point in time is our client will have the question uh, about if the railing is less than, for example, 42 inches 
Are we under some sort of compulsion um, to retrofit the entire building to bring it up to current code? So I know we can't talk about specificities, right. obviously, but generally speaking, what is the general guidance about um, where you, as an owner, have bought a structure where the railings might be less than 42 inches? Is there such a thing as grandfathering? Everybody gets focused on that a lot of times. What What is typically the guidance that... Um, um, that would be given by an engineer? So, um, you know, grandfathering is one of those terms that everybody's aware of and you can't find it in the code. So that's just... Uh, that's uh, exactly right. <laughs> so it's... Uh, uh, but it's a real thing. That, uh, you don't necessarily have the responsibility uh, if you purchase a building to hire an architect or engineer uh, or contractor to inspect the building and bring your building up to today's current code. That's, uh, that's typically not required. Uh, usually the... The way the codes are uh, um, written for existing buildings is to essentially maintain that structure in the condition it was when it was designed and constructed to begin with. Now, there is a, there's kind of an important thing to keep in mind. Um, in, uh, in South Carolina, they have certain international codes that are required for, the, for municipalities to incorporate, and then they have other international codes that they allow municipalities to incorporate. And one of those is the... Uh, the, the a jurisdiction is allowed to incorporate is the International Property Maintenance Code. And so um, usually the usually that code speaks to uh, maintaining, maintaining things in, in, a, in a, you know, with a structural integrity and a proper state of repair, those types of things. So I would, um, for example, uh, not every municipality or jurisdiction in South Carolina re- identifies that code but, there, but many of the metropolitan areas do. For example, Columbia does. And so, so that may be, um, if, if, if a property owner has something that kind of looks funny to them, that may be a place that they start before they even engage somebody to, to see what, uh, what's required or what they believe is to be required from that document. And that's something that we've experienced where we have clients with multiple properties in, in South Carolina that are in different counties and uh, different municipalities We've always related to them just based on our understanding and, and consulting with experts along the way that uh, no two cases are necessarily exactly the, the same, and every case is different to where if you have a property in Hilton Head uh, with regard to code compliance, it might be different than what it is in Florence or Greenville. And I guess it's fair to say in those circumstances, uh, if there's any ambiguity, a, a property owner would a property owner would be wise to consult with an engineer uh, just to make sure that there is code compliance. Yeah, um, I mean that's for sure. I mean even the even the building official, I think it's it's worthwhile. But I but I think you know it is it, it is an important point to make that that they're not necessarily required to take their 100-year-old building and make it compliant with 2018 building code requirements. So building off of that, though, uh, is it fair to say that if you buy a property and you decide you're going to do this refresh, and you often see that, especially in the hospitality side, where um, a hotel gets reflagged as a different concept by a different owner, and they are doing whatever they're doing to the building to where maybe they're taking it down to the studs, that if they're taking the railings off their hotel rooms, that whatever they put back on as a retrofit or as an update, that that new um, railing would have to be in, in code compliance. Is that generally the rule? Yes, um, and um, it's also important that um, you know a lot of times you'll have a, a triggering event, 
And so a triggering event might be an occupancy change. I've got this, um, this really nice Victorian home that I'm going to turn into a bed and breakfast. And so that, that's an occupancy change. So that may trigger some of these requirements for new, for new construction. That's a fantastic point. Um, so let's turn the topics just a little bit. We're still going to talk about decks, but um, as we were talking about before we started taping, uh, I shared with you that from time to time our retail and hospitality practice collaborates with our construction defect practice where there might be a deck collapse. And uh, generally, if we get involved, there's a personal injury component to it. If it's just a pure debt collapse, property damage thing, the, the construction defect guys will, will handle it. But we've had several cases over the years involving debt collapse, particularly down at the coast, um, involving personal injury. Um, talk a little bit more about that as far as when you've gotten involved in litigation and probably most importantly, where are property owners getting themselves in the trouble where, where it leads to a debt collapse? Sure. Um, so um, oftentimes I'm asked to uh, evaluate the, the cause of the, the cause of the collapse. And so um, I'm a simple guy, so I like my list. And so there, there, there are uh, several, uh, several, I guess, the basic problems that, that may result in a, in a debt collapse. One may be improper use. It may just be simply overloaded. Uh, another one may be a construction defect where the, the size of the materials used, the type of the material, the spacing of the material was improper, and, um, and, it, um, and so you ended up with a situation where those components were overloaded and it collapsed. Uh, another issue might be um, the, deg- the degrading of those properties. And so that would be either... Um, either um, uh, through rot of material or through um, from from water damage or corrosion of, of fasteners and those types of things. So particularly in the uh, coastal environment, uh, corrosion's a big deal. And um, so um, there are uh, so that's that's something that um, would be important for uh, for property owners to to try to keep an eye on. Uh, the uh, now there is there's a basic problem with it. Is that um, oftentimes these components that are used to attach the rail to the structure, they're hidden from view, so it's it's hard to tell sometimes. Well, you make a really good uh, point because a component of our retail and hospitality practice includes uh, representing some of these vacation clubs, uh, some of the Airbnb uh, lines of coverage, and uh, so you've got folks who have residential homes that they're using for commercial purposes. Um, And so the the thing that I have thought about um, in in a context involving the decks is, like you just said, it might be very hard to detect or determine if there's a problem, but if you're inviting these folks into your house um, and you're renting it out to them essentially, um, and everything on its face looks good. Is there anything from a forensic or slash engineering perspective that um, a homeowner or a vacation club management company, is there anything that they could be doing on a periodic basis just to make sure that things at least appear to be on the up and up as far as uh, deck maintenance and, and deck and structural integrity especially? Yeah, so, so it's... Um you know, it, as an engineer, it's hard for me to expect a property owner to go unscrew bolts and check to see bolts. Now, now sometimes um, 
Uh, there's a crawl space to a home. You can get up behind the deck and look at the connections from the crawl space. You can see if there's any decayed um, uh, decayed materials um, or, or corroded fasteners. Um, if you have soft spots around the doors itself, let's say if there's a balcony door, if there's soft spots around there, that may indicate that there's issues. If there's any any sign of deflection or sagging or or anything like that, that's uh, those are those are kind of the kind of the things that you you can look at. I, I mean, I, unfortunately, I've been involved in files uh, previously where there was really no evidence that anything was wrong, and uh, it would have been really um, you know someone would have had to, had to have taken unusual measures to to find the condition of defect that ultimately resulted in the in the debt collapse and of course the standard for property owners in south carolina with regard to dangerous conditions is either knew or should have known about the dangerous condition or if you created the dangerous condition but i can't imagine in that circumstance anybody's creating a dangerous condition so that that notice element uh is important the thing i'm just sensitive to and i guess when i've got my antenna up is if you're renting out a home or if you're a vacation management company that's in charge of this, is there any sort of standard as it relates to periodic inspection by um, a professional like an engineer? Yeah, nothing, nothing that I've ever seen in ordinances. Now, that doesn't mean that, let's say, Merle's Inlet doesn't have something like that in their ordinance, right? So that's so it, it, it's um, um, you know, not some sort of nationwide or statewide requirement. So, Glenn, I know we've talked a lot about decks today, uh, but uh, you've you've got a uh, almost a thirty year career with uh, ED and T. What what else are you doing? What are, what are some of your other wheelhouses on a day to day basis? Yeah, so this uh, this kind of dovetails into the same type of thing. But I, I spend a good a good amount of my project with existing buildings and structures and and consulting with um, you know regarding construction or design or those types of things. So it's um, it's um, you know, I'm still still young enough to crawl on roofs and crawl under buildings and do those things that you have to do when you're when your practice is existing buildings, and uh, and I'll I'll continue to do that. That's fantastic. So, how do we find you? How do how do, how do we learn more about Glenn Stewart and ED and T? So, um, I uh, as you indicated before, I work with uh, engineering, design, and testing, and we're uh, a national based company. We have offices. Um, here in, uh, from South Carolina to California. And uh, we were, um, I like to tell the joke that it's uh, the uh, Tim Jur, who is the founder of our company, started in his garage just like uh, Apple without the billions of dollars. So uh, it's, uh, uh, so anyway, we have uh, uh, electrical mechanical engineers. We, uh, we uh, specialize in forensic or technical investigations. Uh, our website's edtengineers.com. Um, uh, check us out. Like I said before, we like to put out a lot of content. It's uh, typically not content about how great we are. We we try to uh, put content that's uh, useful to people and um, and and fact based. So anyway, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And you're on LinkedIn. Yes, I, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm not very good with LinkedIn. But if you uh, if uh, we do have a uh, uh, ED, EDT engineers is 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 how you would find us on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, I'm Glenn Stewart, Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, i love to connect with anybody. Fantastic. Glenn Stewart, Associate Chief Engineer with Engineering Design and Testing Corp here in Columbia. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it.
And for more legal news of interest to South Carolina businesses, join us right here for the next episode of The Legal Bench. You've been listening to The Legal Bench from the South Carolina defense firm Collins & Lacey. Learn more at collinsandlacey.com.